from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. And each neighborhood is different, you know. Um, Peace Park, for example, is recreational. Um, Cabbage Patch is about food production. And Walnut Park, it's increasingly about outdoor sports. And so it's kind of for each community to determine what does a green space mean to them um, and what's most needed there. I'm Sarah Fenske. Some parts of the city are going green really green. Parcels where homes once stood are now purposefully being left vacant, not from neglect, but as green space. The city has long seen the merits of these green parcels, but struggled to maintain them. Now a new initiative with real money behind it aims to ensure the land is maintained and held for the community. And joining us today to tell us more is Laura Ginn. She is a vacancy strategist for the St. Louis Development Corporation. Laura, welcome. Thank you. Happy to be here. So, Laura, the St. Louis Community Land Trust will be a new organization, but it builds on some ideas that the city has been working on for years. What first got the city and the St. Louis Development Corporation thinking about returning vacant lands to green space? Oh, gosh, it's a hodgepodge of of different reasons that kind of culminated here. Um, So one, just picking at random, would be the Missouri Department of Conservation interest in connecting city residents to nature. This is our state fish and wildlife agency, and it's their mission to, you know, connect Missourians to opportunities to interact with nature. And they recognize that the majority of Missourians do live in cities. Hmm. Um, and so kind of shifting their their approach to conservation over the last several years and really thinking about how to better support cities in infusing nature throughout. Um, another thing that, that kind of led to this was Um, our poor sewer infrastructure and our combined sewer system where we have the same tunnels managing water that's falling from the sky and water that's coming from inside our homes through the same pipes. Um, And over the years, and as those have aged, they're not equipped to handle both. And so the more open space we have to absorb stormwater, the more we keep out of those tunnels and reduce things like sewage backups in people's basements and local street flooding. Um, And then on, you know, another angle would be that we have two forest parks worth of vacant properties and they're majority concentrated in North City, um, and they're not going to, you know, become all houses in the next five or ten years. And so what are some short-term and long-term uses that are going to help us plan for the future of St. Louis? Okay, so that is a hodgepodge. You did a great job in, in sort of getting <laughs> us through that all very quickly. I'm, I'm very impressed here. So with all of these as, as motivations here, this led to the Green City Coalition. And this, again, comes out of the St. Louis Development Corporation that, that you work for. Um, was this mainly um, looking at vacant lots that the city already owned? Yes, but it's hard to do that. You know, the Land Bank LRA, Land Reutilization Authority, only owns about 40% of the vacant properties in the city. Hmm. And they're not really concentrated. So 60% are held by private owners, individuals, out-of-state people that have, you know, had it passed down through generations or corporations or even, as we've seen a lot more lately, speculators. Um, So, you know, we try to concentrate around the properties that are going to be easier um, but it's not, it's not that simple. We do have to work towards acquiring those private abandoned properties where it makes sense um, and really kind of piecing these together. And when you're piecing them together, is the goal to have just a little pocket park or are you looking at much bigger chunks of space? It depends on where and it depends on the neighborhood and, and the function of the space, you know. 
So, um, for example, Wells Goodfellow neighborhood historically had two really large streams come in and converge right in the middle of that neighborhood. And as they were turned into sewer systems, the, the water still flows there, you know, and so we have these these ongoing water problem areas. So we've got about seven acres in that neighborhood that's being converted to more of a passive recreation space. Um, who Its primary function is to absorb water and help alleviate those issues. Um, but then next up, hopefully, being a quality outdoor space to go and interact with nature. Um, residents have prioritized an orchard in that space, so there's fruiting trees within and a, and a part of that but it's kind of got this larger function behind it. And each neighborhood is different. You know, um, Peace Park, for example, is recreational. Um, Cabbage Patch is about food production. And Walnut Park, it's increasingly about outdoor sports and um, shot put, discus, javelin, your throwing sports. So it's kind of for each community to determine what does a green space mean to them um, and what's most needed there. Hmm. So you've been acquiring these these properties, um, and they're being put together, and now they're going over to this new organization that's almost being yeah. formed out of nothing. This is the St. Louis Community Land Trust. What's the mm-hmm. idea with what they will do with the ownership? So a land trust is a way of kind of shifting agency and, and power to the residents most impacted by those land use decisions. You know, every every property has an owner. Um, whether that's a land bank or the city or an individual. And what a land trust does is it provides a mechanism for a real community ownership um, where the board is primarily residents, where membership is, is from within residents of the neighborhoods so that you can, you can further plan around those green spaces and the structural development that will come next with neighborhoods in mind, making sure the benefits are felt um, by people in the neighborhood and by people who've lived there for you know, generations sometimes. Um, so it's a way for us to kind of tap and, and shift power um, from the kind of top down that we've had so far and really moving that into residents' hands. So will the neighbors be driving this overall organization or the neighbors are more going to be driving individual projects in individual neighborhoods? What's kind of fun about these next steps is that's that's all kind of to be determined, right? Hmm. So we've, we've worked really hard to put together a solid sustainable funding model and really figure out what partners we need at the table to set this up for success. Um, and now that we know it's possible, now it becomes building that resident leadership, building out the board, hiring an executive director, and that inaugural board is going to decide um, how governance works, how deci- decisions are kept in communities, how people are represented around uh, what happens from here on out. So that's going to be kind of the, the fun part of this next whole year. So you mentioned funding, and that is a big deal here. This isn't just a pie-in-the-sky idea whatsoever. You now have a million-dollar grant from the Missouri Department of Conservation. It's technically a challenge grant. What what does that mean in this case? That means they acknowledge that green spaces are only one piece of the puzzle, um, and especially when you're working on nature in cities, it's it's um, it's part of a larger built environment. Um, we know that green space development in other cities can lead to displacement. It can it can push property level or values up, right, and start to outprice people. And so this really creates a mechanism to make sure that these green spaces aren't having any potential negative impacts and then not we're repeating any mistakes of the past of kind of government mandated development like that. Um, so the Department of Conservation, it's it's really impressive that they've that they've been able to recognize that and then not only recognize it but put their money behind it and call on other partners to come and join them and say this isn't just about green space now we need housing we need public health uh, we need environmental justice right um, and so we can start to 
not even start to continue to build those partnerships and those funding opportunities and really set neighborhoods up for success. So you have seven different project sites now. These are in four different neighborhoods. That's College Hill, uh, Wells Goodfellow, Walnut Park, and Baden. Um, these four different sites, these are all on the north side. Um, right. Is the expectation that some will be added on the south side, or is this going to, to begin as a north side project? It's going to begin in those four neighborhoods, and I'll, I guess, defer back to the, the future board to decide where, where they go from here. We've already, just as a coalition, as a you know, ragtag partnership of entities kind of shifted away um, from more of an environmental planning perspective of where we need green spaces for resilience and more into what does the community need. And I think we'll continue to see that shift. Um, and as it moves more and more into resident leadership, who knows where, where it might go. Um, but we're also partnering with several other emerging land trusts and existing, right? So we, we have Beyond Housing, and they're doing incredible work. And there are others that are forming, too, like the North Webster Land Trust, working to retain affordable housing in a historically black neighborhood of Webster Grove. And so how do we all work together um, to shift our local systems and our policy and conversations and, and, and support all of us in, in these efforts? Because really what we see in other cities is the more trust you have, the better. You mentioned um, other it's not cities. Really a comp- mm-hmm. Sorry, go ahead. Well, it's, it's not a competitive space. We're all we're all going to be better for collaborating in this, right? So you mentioned other cities. I find myself curious about this. It seems like such a great plan, and it also seems like wow. You know, why did we never think of doing this this sooner? Is there another city that has kind of provided a model for doing this sort of thing? Dudley Street Initiative um, is a great one, and also uh, Los Angeles Neighborhood Land Trust has, has been one I've been watching for years because it's uh, an example of a city land trust that, that covers several neighborhoods, and that's really what we've been trying to look at is how do you cover a wide range and very different types of communities and retain that decision-making throughout um, Los Angeles Neighborhood Land Trust, New Orleans, um, Boston, Baltimore. There's some great examples. And what's been most fun about that, I think, is learning what works from other cities, but also getting to see what won't work here. We're a unique place. Mm-hmm. Um, and so taking what we can from others and kind of manipulating that into what's really going to work best for St. Louis. So one of the examples of this that you mentioned earlier is this Peace Park site. Um, And this is um, on North Grand in the College Hill neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us just assumed this was a city park. And and the Post-Dispatch actually had a great story about this new initiative and and talked a bit about that park there. But I'd love to get people up to speed on on how this is going to affect that property, because I think this is one so many of us have driven by and just not been aware Mm -hmm. of the backstory there. So what exactly is Peace Park? And, and what will this project do for it? Yeah, it, it, you can Google it, right? You can Google, Google map yourself right to Peace Park, but it is not an official city park, and it never has been. Um, back in, oh gosh, a long time ago, a great civil rights advocate named Otis Woodard came to St. Louis from Memphis, um, and he, he started working for a Lutheran church in the area, and he lived on the block that is now Peace Park. It was residential before. And in his yard and then in the space next door, he would always collect and put out items for people to come and take, whether that was food, 
clothing, you know, basic essentials. And it became this gathering space for people to come, you know, for community and for assistance um, and had the share shed for, for sharing things. And Otis passed away, I think, about six years ago in 2015. A couple of his uh, um, children tried to, tried to keep it going, but couldn't quite um, keep it maintained. And that's fair. And it's because the entire block is um, owned by either the land bank or private entities. And, they, you know, they're technically considered vacant and abandoned properties at this point. So in 2017, um, out of work from the For the Sake of All report that highlighted the racial disparities in that zip code, 63107, uh, partners at WashU started working with residents, a team of about 10 resident researchers, and they spent a year researching these racial health disparities and decided the one thing they wanted to start with was revitalizing Peace Park into a true park um, that had the sustained maintenance that it that it deserved um, as the, you know kind of the first mechanism for transforming a vacant property to a real quality asset for the neighborhood. Hmm. Um, so that's continued since, and there's been some turnover in leadership of organizations that were trying to lead the effort. Um, and so it's kind of come into the Green City Coalition fold as as another property that needs the sustained model of how it will how it will continue to be and how does it become a catalyst for redeveloping around that historic Grand Avenue Water Tower, which used to be this fantastic, you know, mixed-use commercial hub. And so this uh, this was part of the Green City Coalition work that you were doing there at the St. Louis Development Corporation. Now it's being handed over to the St. Louis Community Land Trust, um, along with these other parcels that it's taking over. What is the timeline um, of everything sort of making the big switch, getting this new organization up mm-hmm. and ready to go? So the, the Post was reporting on a resolution that was passed um, that said St. Louis Development Corporation was ready to <clears throat> sign on to the agreement and kind of unlock this funding. So as soon as people actually sign that, <laughs> which is happening this week, um, we'll be posting and looking for the uh, executive director for the CLT. So we'll be looking for a new full-time leader, and then we'll start recruiting for the board, and we'll spend the rest of this year really building up that board's capacity, um, deciding what our bylaws and guiding principles are going to be and how we're going to maintain resident membership and leadership throughout. And by this time next year, we should start transferring properties from the land bank to the land trust and staffing up uh, the side that's land management and, and programming and all that comes with it. So this is all happening right now, and it sounds like there's going to be a real yeah. <laughs> flurry of activity in the next year. You're going to be busy. Well, hopefully the new staff will be busy. <laughs> new people, new blood, fresh blood. Yeah. There you go. You're getting ready to hand this off. Well, I think this is so exciting. And I have the distinct feeling as we're talking to you today, this is not going to be the last time we talk about this here on the air. There's going to be just a lot of movement here, and it's going to be exciting to watch. So, Laura, again, thank you so much for joining us today and, and previewing where this could all go. Thank you so much for having me. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. If you learned something new from today's episode, consider leaving us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the easiest way to help people discover our show. We appreciate it. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis.
Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.